0: The following presentation was recorded at the Buddhist Society of Victoria, Malvern East, Australia. Please visit our website at bsv.net.au.
1: I was caught a bit uh, off guard yesterday. Chinta kidnapped me to come and give you a talk. Um, So, I mean, I don't usually prepare too much anything anyways, but uh, one thing I was thinking, if I'm going to, give a talk during the range Retreat this year, I will talk about the um, Anatalakana Sutta. It's a beautiful sutta uh, tr- translated as uh, the characteristic on uh, non-self sometimes. I already gave the speech to the citizen group, so if anybody there listened to it before, hopefully you won't be there wouldn't be that much repetition, but anyway, so um, a lot of you, you haven't heard it. So this sutta is the second sutta which, uh, which Buddha spoke. The first one is obviously um, rolling the wheel of the Dhamma, the Dhamma Chakkapavatthana Sutta, a lot of you know. but So this was the second sutta that the Buddha spoke. And this, uh, the second sutta, um, the characteristic of non-self is the sutta where Buddha really outlined the um, of uh, where most humans think self exist. He could have outlined this, this, teaching, different ways. Perhaps there could be different ways of categorizing human. This is not like uh, um, it's not like there's only one way of saying this is what constitutes as a human. And so, but he picked up one of those uh, things where he really thought we think it, we exist. So, if you think for your own life, where do you think you exist? If you really contemplate a little bit, every morning when you look in, in, into the mirror when you go and brush your teeth, where do you exist? You exist on those pimples you don't wish you weren't in your face, or on your just sort of on your new uh, creases on your, you know, next to your eyes and all that. That's where you exist, and. Um, you exist on sort of, we, we reflect ourselves, a lot of this, what we reflect ourselves is from the, from the body, mainly from the face, because this, this is who we are. We are, we know we're not our face, but, you know, we associate a lot of ourselves with that, even though, you know, it's interesting thing, as a monk, quite a lot of monasteries, we don't have mirrors, that, that lot of mirrors, there's, in uh, even sometimes in the toilets we don't have mirrors because as a monk one of the rules is that you're not supposed to sort of um, what's the rule uh, you, no it's not vanity you're not supposed to uh, look yourself in the mirror by this. I can't remember the rule now exactly how it goes but you know just sort of observe yourself in the mirror and just say how I look good I look um, that's that's one of the rules but the uh, so we we can use mirrors when you're shaving and stuff. You still have the mirrors. In. But quite often when you spend a long time in the monastery, and you, especially if you don't have a lot of mirrors, you sort of forget that aspect of yourself. You Sometimes you have been in Boriniana in for a long time, and people said, oh, you haven't shaved for a while. It's like, oh, yeah, I haven't even... yes, because you don't see your face. If you don't touch your face, you forget I didn't shave. Um, so body itself you know body is the uh, number one so uh, let me go um, a little bit back so the Buddha with the characteristics Buddha said we have five khandhas that's the Pali word and so pa- five let's say there's sometimes they say constituents but five ways to characterize human where we think self exists. and number one is body I mean it's not just a face, obviously, but the um, the body itself. We think this is me. This is who I am. And if you if you look at the body, does the body belong to you? There is a strong idea that it belongs to you. You are sort of annoyed with your body quite often, or you enjoy when there's it feels good in your body. You you enjoy it, but you know, like let's say if the if things don't go according your wishes, let's say the body gets sick, for example, it hurts somewhere, you, you try to make it go away because um, you think you can do something about it. But that's why we, in, uh, when I was, uh, well, was going to teach this um, sutta for the um, citizen group, I um, they said, well, how do you translate this? Anatta, non-self. Is it non-self, no-self, not-self? It doesn't make that much difference, but you know, quite often we the good translation perhaps would be non-self, N-O-N, non-self, instead of not-self or no-self. Non-self is because in this sutta, this particular sutta. We talk about things which belong to you, quite often these things. So it's non-belonging to your, to me. So the body doesn't belong to you. You sort of understand it, but we forget. It doesn't, it hasn't really sink in. And the Buddha gave the example comes there that uh, in the sutta later on, um, that if your body is sick, can you say, I don't want my body to be sick. No, you cannot do that. You cannot just wish yourself healthy. It just doesn't work that way. The, the body gets sick, and it's according to nature. It's uh, nature, biology, whatever we call it these days. And, you know, sometimes you hear people say things like, um, I got sick because it's my karma." And the Buddha said, no, that's not your karma. It could be that there's partly karma somewhere there. But the uh, it's the Buddha said you can get sick because of the nature. So the you know it's just a human body it gets sick. So okay. So number one. So we now we're talking about the khandas. So number one, body. That's what we really quite often we think self is there. Number two, feeling. Vedana, and now it's unfortunate translation. Vedana to uh, translate as a feeling you feel angry you feel sad those are characteristics of the vedana vedana the feeling really means suffering happiness or non-suffering and somewhere between you whether you don't really know how to categorize. vedana doesn't need need it doesn't mean feelings as what we use it in english but we don't have really any better way of translating. Um, uh, using, uh, you know, translating it into English. So we have body. And now we, number two now is vedana feelings. Suffering, non-suffering, or sort of between. And that goes anywhere. So if you see something which you don't like, that is suffering, right? So if you hear something like, oh, the children are playing too, you know, they're too loud, then you, you pay attention to that, and you find maybe difficult to, you know, listen to me. There's, there's the suffering there. There's, you can see there's perhaps irritation coming, or you feel happy that you know we have children. Then there's happiness arising, or you don't even notice that children are there. Then you sort of um, it's between, so it's everywhere. So all your five senses and all your mind sense as well. So we have six senses in Buddhism. So everywhere there that this whether it's suffering, non-suffering, uh, or somewhere between. So now, number two, that's how we categorize. We think there's self somewhere there. The suffering, we are trying to avoid suffering. We try to hold on to the, um, when something is, you, you like something, you try to hold on to that, whether it's bodily feelings, mental feelings, whatever it is, you know, you, Ajahn Brahm has this simile of, um, driverless bus and, the, the simile for that, the driverless bus, is that you're you you you're sitting in the bus, and you see the scenery, and you, you enjoy something, and you said, you know, you wish the driver would slow down, something beautiful, you know, um, feels now, we see these uh, flowers are coming here in Australia, spring is coming, and you you, you wish the driver would slow down, you, you enjoy the, you know, the the scenery, and you talk to your friends and everything is going well as you wish and that, you know you wish that would last longer in your life. And then you go to some, you know, ugly, dumb, dumb side and you wish the driver was just like speed. Let's just move from here. I don't want to see these things. You just want, always, just we're wishing these things in life. But again, there's not much we can do about it. And then the simile with the driverless buses with Ajahn Brahm's simile is that And then, after jhana, after deep meditation, you see, you—that that is actually the point when you can go to the driver and see who's driving the bus. And you realize there's nobody there. So that's the simile for anatta. And then you can just sort of, ah, there's nobody driving this bus. It's just going through the route of the life according to your kamma. And you just sort of have to you just enjoy the ride. There's not much you can do about it. But if you really are getting angry about the like, things you don't like in life and try to hold on to the pleasures in life, you're just accumulating a lot of suffering. The more you hold into this. So that's why these deep meditations are so important. So number two now. We, this might take long. <laughs> we, number two now. Okay. So... Then we go to number three, where we think, uh, uh, he, we where we exist. And that's perception, sanya. Um, when we perceive something, again, it goes with all the senses. Buddhism, we have six senses. We perceive through something with your mind, whether it's thoughts or... Um, you, you, you feel the suffering or the happiness, all those things. They, they sort of merge a lot of those things together. So there's not like there's None of these are very strict categories. They sort of blend into each other. Sometimes they bleed into over, overlap each other and all that. So perceptions are something. You perceive something. Otherwise, it doesn't exist. And we think we are in that perception. Whether it doesn't mean perceiving as seeing, it means also with all the other senses and with the mind sense as well. You perceive something, and that's I exist because of that. If you don't perceive anything, you would sort of like realize if you know you were somewhere floating up in the air and it was completely darkness and there's no sound, nothing, would self exist? How long would it exist if there was no Sensory experiences coming to to you pers- to be perceived, and sometimes people um, there's questions like um, if somebody's in coma, are they there? And there is a there's a period where people in coma they are actually there, so they cannot see you, they cannot, but they say. These people are almost like some people who come back from there. They say that they, they heard the others. They sense that they were there. And that's why they say it's important that you actually, if somebody's in coma, you go and touch, uh, touch them, talk to them like they're there. And that keeps them, if they want to, you know, hold on and they, they are uh, hoping that the body will come back, uh, the mind, Will start uh, working normally, and the body comes starts back, come back. Then you keep, you know, touching and talking to them normally. It's almost like a dream state. And the same with dreaming. There is a your dream state. You are always there. You don't disappear on your sleep. That's why you know we we can wake up and that's why we can still sort of perceive certain things even when you're dreaming, when you're sleeping. There is still a little bit of sense there, even though your body is paralyzed and you don't hear and see that well at that point, but still, it's there. So perception. Now we, number number three. Number four is really a big one. That's the uh, Pali word, is sankara. There's a little bit different translations in sankara. Sankara sometimes is piku Bodhi translates as uh, volition. Um, Ajahn de says says, uh, what did it say? Choices. Prandesuciato in Sutta Central, he uses choices. Ajahn Brahm likes to use words just will. Choices and will, volition, they're all same aspects of that same thing. And this is really where Ajahn Brahm says that this really where we think we exist. You choose something. We always, whatever it is, you know, again, it goes back to the bleeds into the different categories. It bleeds into that we try to avoid suffering or keep on to the um, happinesses, all that in lives. Those are, you choose those things. You think you choose. Um, Whatever, any kind of will you have, Is you think, really, deep inside, that's where self is. And then the last one, number five, consciousness, vinyana. Traditionally, all the other religions say, okay, they they would say the same, you know, there is no, you know, body is not self, even though there is, perhaps, some of the other religions say that, you know, like, you could re- What's the word? Resurrected. I think that's the English word. You, you know. I don't know what they really mean by that. You know, like there's this man, man, uh, mind-made body which just comes up from the grave and then you float into it. And I, I guess it looks like when you were in your twenties and you meet your parents and your partner and all that. You, you're happily ever after in this place. And then uh, so there's this kind of consciousness or soul. Sometimes. Um, Ajahn Brahm, when he teaches the the word of the Buddha uh, during the rains retreat for us, he says, you know, like it's you could you could say that it's translated soul. It's not it's wrong translation, but it's just an English word which we use quite often. But consciousnesses is what Ajahn Brahm likes to translate this. Again, there's different kind of consciousnesses, so you cannot say this. It, the danger there. It's a sort of wrong way of translating the Pali, the vinyana. It's not plural, but he translated as consciousnesses because again, there's six consciousnesses. We have eye consciousness, we see something, and then seeing, there has to be object, you see something, and the consciousness of the eye comes up, seeing consciousness, one consciousness. Here, hearing, there has to be a sound. There has to be observer. And then the consciousness of hearing arises. Same with all the other senses, whether it's touch, taste, you know, all the other ones. And your mind consciousness. Mind doesn't appear without having an object. So in Buddhism, we have six consciousnesses. So this is really, again, we sort of think it comes like a, uh, almost like a um, default mechanism. We, some, it must be me somewhere, right? Like we had this queen's, um, our queen's funeral. And people were crying, you know, oh, the queen died and it's sad and this and that. And I was thinking, well, like, which part of... Or, of which part of, uh, of all these khandhas is the queen? Where does the queenness appear there? Is the queen any different from us? Her body is, you know, we would say it's made out of the same kind of things livers and spleens and eyes and ears and all brains and all that. It's made out of the same kind of things. So do people think that there's a, some kind of different kind of uh, consciousness of what the the uh, queen has? Is the queen's consciousness different from our consciousness? And in Buddhism so we say, we are not different. I'm not any different from you, and you are not dif- any different from me, but we're not the same. We're not different, but we're not the same. We're not, you're not any better than I am. You're not any worse than I am. But all those things with the queen. So we give these kind of ideals for the queen. But the same, we do the same thing for us. We are, we exist. That's what we think. Consciousness is there. Which one? Your eye consciousness. When you look at me, and there's the percept. You know, you perceive it, and then the you know it's the consciousness arises. Yes, I can see. Then the hearing comes. You can hear. And all of those different things changes every millisecond. And none of these things, um, um, are constant. So you don't hear and you don't see at the same time. Here, you don't, you don't feel and hear at the same time. You don't taste and hear at the same time. They're all like a flickering. Like when you have the uh, movie roll, when they, you know, the old movies for the cellophane, and then you have individual frames like this. They're all those individual frames are different. And they're not even connected to each other. There's this little gap between the frames, right? And then the new one arises. And then it changes, and a new one arises. But because it's so quick, because the film is you know playing so many frames per second, we perceive that as a constant self. So that again constitutes where you think itself. But there is no one uh, one role where that. Um, let's say let's we would take now the soul for example for example uh, from. What quite often people think there's a soul somewhere there, as if the soul is somehow we have different film roles and the soul somehow plays different role altogether, and it's separate from all the others. So we let's say in we would say there's five uh, five senses. That's it, and the sixth sense pays completely different movie set there, or it's separated there, or somehow there's interaction between those movie sets. Maybe the uh, the five sense senses color that the sixth sense. No, it doesn't exist that way, in, in Buddhism at least. That's what we say. Again, going back to in, the, in the beginning, these are just, these are not absolute absolute categories. The Buddha said, uh, the Buddha didn't say, but the um, Buddha used some of the um, what already existed at the time of the Buddha, and he just reused them and, uh, but these are the strong ideas where we think self-exist. And I can see that it's already almost 10 past and I haven't even started the sutta. So let, let's see if we can go, even go that far with the sutta. But at least, you know, I, I'm giving you the category of where self-exist. Where we th- a lot of us, we think self-exist. So I don't think I'm going to read the whole sutta because well, I don't have time. Okay, Uh, I I just keep this uh, the beginnings, and uh, I just repeat a couple things which I said from the sutras, and uh, see how we go. Monks, form is not self. For if form were self, it wouldn't lead to affliction, and you could compel thus. You could say thus. May my form be like this, may it not be like that. But because form, the body, see you later, thank you. Thank you. But because uh, body is not self, it leads to suffering, affliction. And you, could, you can't compel a uh, body like this. May my body be like this, may it not be like that. Any kind of feeling, perception, choices, Um, at all you cannot say may my feelings choices perceptions be like this um, compelled to be like this uh, or any other way but because of all of these things don't belong to you it leads to a suffering and you cannot compel feeling perception will or choices um may they be like this Maybe they like be like that so again will or um, um, choices, anything you cannot say, oh there's suffering now, I don't want to see this suffering in my mind if you are even if you're depressed can you just say, I don't want to be depressed, if you're sad if there's suffering in life can you say, I don't want to be sad there's a ways to sort of overcome from those things. And quite often the Buddha said inspiration is one of those things where it actually uh, it lifts you up. And the, quite often, which I have a problem with these um, modern, modern um, teachers who teach Buddhism mindfulness, is that a lot of the times what they teach is stress reduction. And why I have a problem with that is that stress reduction is obviously good, but it's almost like you're putting a band on a wound. If you come to the Buddhist Society of Victoria and you, you come for the Theravada teachers, we don't just tell you this is the band-aid. We, we do, do teach you that. That, you know, if you have suffering in your mind, contemplate these things, you know, try to how you uplift your mind from this bog land a little bit. But eventually, to deep down, it is all of this is suffering. And this is where we, uh, and in the, this um, uh, end of the sutta, where we come to that, why, what's the really the deep meaning of this? Um, okay, so we go to the Second part of the sutta now. So, the Buddha in here, in the beginning of the sutta, I skipped all that, all these. He said, all of these things you cannot just say may be any other way than what, the, what it is. May it be like this, maybe be that, like that. You cannot say that, whether it's your body, feelings, choices. You should truly see any kind of consciousness and the other ones at all past, future, present, internal or external, coarse or fine, inferior or superior, far or near, all consciousness with right understanding, this is not mine, this is, I am not this, this is not myself. Actually, I've doubled up already, but I don't think you even noticed that, but now it's actually the second part of the switch. What do you think, monks? Is form, body, permanent or impermanent? Impermanent, sir. That's the word, anicca. Quite often said in, the, in Buddhism, anicca. Per, impermanent. But if it's impermanent, it is suffering, or is it suffering or, or happiness? Suffering, uh, bante, sir. But is it if it's impermanent, suffering, and perishable, meaning bodies will die and go old, get old, sick, and die. Is it fit to be recorded thus? This is mine. This, I am this. This is myself. No, sir. Is feeling permanent or impermanent? Is perception permanent or impermanent? Are choices permanent or impermanent? Is consciousness, consciousnesses, plural, are they permanent or impermanent? Impermanent, sir. But uh, if it's impermanent, it is, suffering. is it suffering or happiness? Suffering, sir. But if it's impermanent, suffering, and perishable, is it fit to be regarded thus, this is mine, I am this, this is myself? No, sir. So, you should truly see any kind of form at all whether it's past, future, present, internal, external, coarse or fine, inferior, superior, far or near, all form, all bodies, with right understanding. This is not mine. I am not this. This is not myself. Uh, so, And then the Buddha goes to the rest of the other five. All of these things where uh, the, the, when you, the Buddha says, anybody, past, future, present, internal, external, course, and fine. Very typical of how how we thought at that time, very typical of how it's uh, explained in many of the suttas. The Buddha just closed all the loopholes. You could say there's some kind of subtle, maybe not body, but maybe there's some kind of subtle um, consciousness somewhere there. Maybe it will be... Um, Superior, like here, the uh, Bandesuchado has translated, I don't have the Pali here, but superior consciousness is somewhere. So quite often, the Buddha had, have all these synonyms, all these things, so sort of almost like, almost like closing the loop, so you don't start thinking, well, surely there must be somewhere the there's self. It is somewhere there. So in the suttas, there's a lot of synonyms where the, they uh and similes where we sort of almost just close the loophole there's no self anywhere there's no subtle consciousness somewhere which you just cannot perceive where the self exists okay and now this is the we i'm i'm going pretty well so i'm I'm going too fast for you, but I'm, uh, I'm sorry for that. But now this is almost like the third part of the sutta, where, um, where the Buddha says, then what? Okay, there's no self. Seeing this, a learned noble disciple grows disillusioned with form, feeling perception choices and consciousnesses. Being disillusioned, desires fade away, when desires fade away they're freed when they're freed they know they're freed so the last part here it's that um when you see it, again sometimes we use uh we say people you know you can contemplate contemplate these certain things like your death you can contemplate a little bit of like you there's no self you know like you intellectually understand it almost but really when you see when we use the word here the seeing it comes after the meditation you can have a little bit of a little bit of this kind of understanding so you can remove yourself from that thinking patterns you have and then the mind comes you know calmer and calmer but you don't truly don't see what it means not to own these things you are not there is no driver on the bus there's just a the bus is going the route no matter what you do. There's no, you know, whether you jump, how much you uh, jump up and down. But what happens when you truly understand these things after deep, deep meditation, you grow disillusioned. And the the word here is Nibindati. You disillusioned, you turn away from the world, you turn away owning anything. You really, and it's quite interesting here, it's just like... um, When you get... Okay, I read it again. Being disillusioned, Nibindadi, desire fades away. You realize it's not mine, it doesn't belong to me you sort of you grow disillusioned you just sort of why am I so worried about these things it doesn't belong to me and this is why people just like what's in light and enlightenment and all of these things it's that they truly are experiences where you know there's no going back you completely see there's nowhere there is self some anywhere and this is the first hatching of that little chick what comes out of it. When you, when you become, you, you are going in the right direction. You understand, and this is why this is the second sutta, what the Buddha taught to his old mates when the Buddha wasn't yet the Buddha. He was actually still, no, no, the Buddha was the Buddha when he went back to it, but he was bodhisattva when he was hanging out with his five mates. And then he went, he, he himself left them went back to them when he actually got enlightened, set the wheel rolling. And these teachings, we don't know how long he was. they were together, how long these teachings, they're going, they were actually, you know, like, we don't know, but it probably went for days and days and weeks. So this is why, this is the second sutra, where actually somebody, one of them, uh, one of them now, uh, one of them, uh, they weren't monks yet, but, interesting thing in this sutta they call them monks but they, these there was no monkhood there was no sangha at that time yet but one of those um, these uh, ascetics which Buddha was striving with became um, enlightened so you you see through that you turn away you lose any kind of desire for your body because you, you it doesn't belong to me it's not like, it's like your car. You know the car belongs to you. But if, if it doesn't work one morning, you take it to the service station. You don't have a strong feeling. Perhaps I saw a nice car out there with you. you know, I think it's yours, the beautiful black uh, Maserati there. Uh, I think you would have a heartache if somebody crashes into the Maserati. But, the, but most people... Don't have that kind of strong owning, caring for that, ah, my car is broken. You're just like, okay, the car doesn't work today, and you take it to the service station. But we have a strong attachment to our body. We, you know, like something goes wrong, you're worried about it. But once you have this kind of nibindity, your desire fades away. it's It's just a vehicle. Our bodies are vehicles which take us through this life. And, you know, we we put it the right fuel in. That's why, you know, you have to learn what fuel goes in, you know, what's the best fuel for your, your body. And, and uh, same with whatever all the other senses. We take care of it, and that's why we do things like loving kindness. That's why we meditate. That's why we keep precepts. Um, so we have a clear and a free mind clear mind happy mind and then hopefully we can have a peaceful mind um so but there is no worry anymore for that person who has a deep understanding there is no worry because you sit that's the vehicle your body is your vehicle and all the other uh, six senses uh, six uh, five kandas rather sorry um, so when the desire fades away, they're freed. When they're freed, they know they're freed. So sometimes people ask us, somebody enlightened, do they know they're enlightened? Yes, they know. In many, where, anywhere in the suttas, every place there's, a, the Buddha explains it in this kind of terms. He said, you know, you are freed. It's not like you question it. Hmm. Am I enlightened or not? I'm not sure. I think I had a deep experience i could be enlightened but i'm uh. well last week i thought so but not so much this week but anyways there's no turning back you either you either have it or you don't they understand rebirth is ended the spiritual journey has been completed what had to be done has been done there's no return to any state of existence This is what the Buddha said, satisfied the group of five monks were happy with what the Buddha said. And while the discourse was being spoken, the minds of the group of five mendicants were freed from defilements by not grasping. Oh, that's right. All of them became, the rest of them became enlightened. It was a kondanya who got enlightened on the first one, the turning of the wheel. And then uh, all all the other ones, no. Did Kondanya, be, did he become enlightened? He became, he became a stream enter and now all of them became enlightened when this one. Right. So um it's a powerful sutta, unfortunately, because I, I read it to you briefly so you didn't get enlightened. I'm sure otherwise you you get pretty um pretty deep there. But uh it's a beautiful sutta and uh what we it's we have uh four of these suttas we recite throughout the whole every rains retreat for three months. And this sutta actually, when Ajahn Brahm went to his six-month self-retreat, he was um, in Bodhinyana and uh, staying by himself for six months, he said, I didn't take any books with me, I didn't take a lot of suttas, I just took one sutta with me, and it was Anatalakana Sutta, characteristics of non-self, and he just kept reciting that for six months every day, he said, or twice a day, I don't remember what he said now, but." It's a very, very strong sutta. And to understand, truly understand, there's no self anywhere. Anatta. Nothing belongs to you in your body, in your mind. And when you come out of deep meditation, I'm sure you all try to put enough effort here and there, and we have a new retreat center coming. Meditate with us. You come on retreats. And all these things, you get brainwashed coming to the Buddhist society. And you have a deep deep experience. Your mind just leaps towards that. And hopefully you become one of those ones where the peak is coming through the egg. And you're going to be one of those stream enters. And we need you. So that's the short discourse on uh, the characteristics of non self, Anatalakana Sutta. I'll leave you to it. And then if you have any questions, please ask. Thank you. Before we go to the questions, uh, um, maybe just so um, I said um, just I wanted to mention that since I'm part of the retreat center build up and we are slightly behind the schedule. Everybody knows there's the COVID things happening and all those things, but we're still going strong. Um, All the money has been raised for the building part of it. So the actual buildings have been raised. So that was 6.4 million. So well done of us. And uh, now we still have to raise a bit more funds for the, um, furniture, white goods, none of that. So we, we got the actual construction is paid. But it's, so that's amazing. And then Builder is now saying that there is some other expenditure coming from the build. Everything is more expensive now. So, but we keep you updated. So keep looking at our website and we, you know, we tell you all those things. And, but we're still going strong and, I think it's going to be really nice for the Buddhist society we can have a retreat and so I'm very happy to be, you know, that we're going going well. So let's go to the questions.
0: Thank you, Bhante, for the yeah. teaching. Um, look, I'm asking you this because I get asked it a bit. Okay, so there's this Buddhist concept of non-self. Yeah. So what is reborn? What's Why reborn? Is, what, why is this concept of rebirth in Buddhism if right. there's no, no self? I get asked it. I yeah, find right. it, I find it difficult to particularly, you know, to reply to friends who are just interested.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's one of those things like, Aha, I love find the loophole. They be like, <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, you're teaching this, but well look, um, if you want to sit down but uh, um, there, there's no easy answers. And it's, it's a very common question. And I kept asking that same question from teachers and they don't have good answers, unfortunately. Okay. So there's certain similes where we give, uh, the Buddha, one of the Buddhist similes is that when there's a candle is dependent, depends on the heat, it depends on the wick and it depends on the, uh, on the wax. And there's a candle going out. Uh, there was a story of novice who saw there was a candle just about getting going out because of the candles. So they, and then they came with the new candle and light up the candle from the, from the old one and put the new candle on top of it. So it snuffed out the old one. What gets transferred? I mean, there's a bit of a cop-out because we don't have good... As, so what gets transferred from the old candle into the new candle? there's nothing really gets transferred. I mean, obviously it's the heat, um, but the, the new, the, between the something between the new candle and the old, uh, the, the old candle, there is no transaction really going. Another uh, simile for, um, this is more enlightened, but you can use it for what goes from life to life, is um, when there is a candle again, Uh, and candle calls out, the wind comes and blows out the candle. Where did the flame go? Did the flame go northwest, southeast, up, down? And the Buddha said, that's a stupid question. You cannot ask that kind of question. Where does the flame go when it goes out? But that's when you're get enlightened. Enlightened, there is no flame going anywhere. But so, I'm just saying that because of the candle simile. So, but there is something going from life to next life, right, and that's a, you know, there's no self. What gets reborn? Nobody. But there's something there. And if you read these stories about children who remember their past lives, for example, I I really like those stories because they're so convincing and there's like children don't make up things and then they they have been able to verify those things. They even say that your body quite often looks the same the next life. There's similarities in your body. Certain cultures, for example, they do a mark on the dead body and then they try to find these children who gets born and that there was a marking. We put a mark there or there's this, like, um, like I know in Alaska, Alaska, you know, they have sort of the people, the the Inuits there. Some of the tribes believe in rebirth, and there's some somebody got speared, and you know they died because the spear was, and then somebody gets reborn, and they have a mark on the stomach, and it's like, oh, that's the boy's grandfather who got died fifty years ago, and there was still the marking, so the body has a scar with it. So there is certain kind of image. <laughs> what gets reborn? Um, unfortunately, I cannot say a soul gets reborn because you know there is no soul in Buddhism. There is no, like I said, how many consciousness we have? Six consciousnesses. In Buddhism, we believe that there's a causes and conditions. Causes and conditions made up make up your karma per se. Your karma is like a river. Again, going into silly similes, but that's the best we have. We think we have free will, choices, sankara, right? What Ajahn Brahm says, will. Bhikkhu Bodhi says, volition. And Ajahn Pandasuchado here here says, choices. That's, what we, that's why we think Ajahn Brahm says, will belongs to us. Um, it doesn't because your kamma that's why we have the simile of the river you are flowing along and we say this is my name that's a river that's a Yarra river here we give it a name because it's here, we know it's there and it has a water, it flows but it doesn't flow just anywhere it doesn't all of a sudden change its direction. You don't be, stop being you, right? Every morning you wake up, you're you. You know, and from year to year, since childhood, there seems to be you there. You, you know, you were a little girl, you were very different, but there was something I could recognize. That's me. Ever since I've been a child, that's your river, and that's your name. What is your karma? Your karma is like the banks around the river, which gives you the direction. You think you have a choice, will, volition. You choose, I'm doing this. I went to this work. I went to, I choose this partner. I choose to live here, eat this. Perhaps there's a little notch there, this and that, but it's mostly come from your kama and the external forces, which give you the shape. You give it the name. You don't. You're not in control. There's nobody in the bus going back to what gets reborn. Is there a river somewhere? Stream of consciousnesses. What? You I consciousness gets born somewhere. Maybe there is a mind consciousness somewhere. Why it cannot be mind consciousness? Because. Mind consciousness depends on the, what comes to the mind. The Buddha gave a simile of um, uh, they used, they made um, roofs out of tats, t- tats, the what's the word? Touch. Touched roofs. So there's like two reefs together. And if something comes to the mind, into the mind, the mind appears because of that. It, and it depends on, let's say, this side, left hand, it's your hearing. I mean, and there's so quickly, I mean, it's hearing, seeing, sensing, you know, mind. Mind comes, uh, let's say the hearing now. The mind appears. So what do you call this then? Hearing consciousness. Hearing? Hearing consciousness. This disappears? Nothing else comes? Does this disappear? No. That's why they say it's the, like the roof. It falls away without anything comes. But you know what, there's always a new one coming. What's gonna come then? Hearing or mind, your thinking, let's say. Your thinking comes, and then that appears again. And then you call the left, uh, the right hand, what the, you know, the, what the left brought to it, what gets reborn. I'm just going, I'm just going in circles and you're just getting more frustrated. Just tell me what gets reborn. Okay, I try to, I I really try to tell you (laughs) now. It's your craving. It's you want to be. So the flame, when you die, you start the perceptions, the, all of those things, they don't just disappear.
0: <laughs>
1: the mind takes another shape. It takes a shape of mind-made body. That's why we say mind-made body. It, when they say that, uh, I've heard stories, you know, people when they're dying, the mind starts separating and it takes a shape of your body, so you still see yourself as your body. It's a mind-made body. There's no physical body, but it can still hear, it can still see, it can still you're still thinking. But um, but what takes that is that because you want to be. That's what we call a craving. So the want. Goes the greed goes from life to life. And that's why, let's say, you know, why would anybody become a ghost? Why would be? why do we have ghosts? If you believe in ghosts, there's a lot of Asians too, it's because you have so much attachment, craving to this life. So now it's your turn. Tell me, you, okay, you tell me. Oh,
0: what I said. Yeah. Maybe take the
1: mic and so everybody online can see, hear you. Cause.
0: and this is and this is to a friend and i said well it's very hard to understand but it's um as i understand it's it's like the vibrations of the mind something of the mind goes on and that would be causing so, craving
1: which part of the mind is it yeah, the, the,
0: no no you, no no i know that. that. <laughs> so that's why it's like but that's we, what i said yeah yeah
1: sure no, and yeah. Uh, you know and that's what i would have said as well you know and Sometimes we do... It's very
0: hard to friends because they're bright and they're questioning. Yeah,
1: but there is something which gets reborn Mm -hmm. and something... um, And it's the sort of easy part of it, like, okay, well, baby comes to be and the consciousness comes But the consciousness comes from somewhere into the vessel, into the body, which I find troubling to understand what what do they... um, the other religions believe that they, you know the mind and body are the same or are they not the same and the, is it the tabula rasa empty mind somehow and it, it constitutes but
0: well you know if you're explaining to someone who's catholic and they have such a strong idea of the soul it's it's
1: very hard yeah mm. okay well I, i'll tell you another thing thank you it's a good question very common question and we don't have good answers <laughs> No, uh, that's okay. The, i tell you, I love, I love, I do like a lot about evolution. In Buddhism, we believe in evolution. How long humans have existed? They said Homo sapiens came about 300,000 years ago. About 100,000 years ago, our brains became the size we are now. Are we the brain? No, we're not the brain. But, you know, you would maybe think about 100,000 years ago, we as humans existed as we exist now, right? Give or take. Um, before that, did they have consciousnesses like we have now? Perhaps not. In 100,000 years, years, three hundred thousand years, one million years, will there be similar kind of consciousness, says we have now. Amoebas came about, what was it, three and a half billion years ago. Is it that long? I don't remember. Something like that. Um, um, and as humans just came on this little fraction of what they, you know their life has been in Earth, you cannot say these microorganisms, which they can find in the rocks, the bacteria, have any kind of consciousness. Says they have bodies, but they don't sort of see themselves as you know. Somehow they don't understand what that is. Who is there to say that this is the peak of? Consciousnesses of humanity as it is. What got born, reborn earlier? It gets reborn in a thousand years from now, hundred thousand years ago. Will it be the same? Are we the you know the peak of evolution? We're not. Um, and the same way, um, why sometimes what gets asked? Well, Buddhism came to be two and a half thousand years ago, 2,600 something now. Why did it come about then? Why did the Buddha appear? Why did somebody who was searching for that, this truth, appear two and a half thousand years ago? Why didn't it appear our time? Maybe it was the first time in human evolution where, when it was possible that somebody could actually think outside a box per se, and then start going for the search. There's other reason, perhaps. Maybe the society was ready. They could. Act, they fed the. You know. The, there was. There was sort of a quest. There was a lot of people. Feel, you know, like different philosophies and all that. They were really looking. What's the meaning of all of this? And they fed these people, and there were a lot of debates, and they were appreciated them. So they maybe that was one of the reasons. But perhaps one of the reasons is human evolution. We weren't able to think the way we do now. But don't think this is the peak of humanity. Evolution keeps going. We are now starting the marriage with technology. But all of these things will still continue. There will be still craving. There still will be volition, will, choices. There still will be different kind of consciousness perhaps they will be different than what we have now maybe we'll get one more consciousness, maybe we we'll get the artificial consciousness which feed us, feed into our, into our mind but I, I find it really liberating, all of these things they just keep rolling and rolling and we get reborn what gets reborn there's no easy answer Yeah. but uh, yeah can we have. I think we just have to have one quick question from Don Miner. Yep.
0: Um, are there any more questions from the room? Um, okay, so
1: we have a somewhat unrelated question, but um, Dear Arjun, what should we do with anxiety and fear of mind, especially when being alone and not busy doing things? Mm. The mind gets occupied with uh, negative thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. So these are the band-aids we put on there. And you have to do this. We all, all suffer. Yeah. The suffering is, is true. And we, um, try to recognize what's causing it. Why, what, what do you, uh, sometimes we say you can name it. Uh, sometimes we say, um, recognize where it exists in your body. Quite often we have, Um, When you have worry or you have um, anxiety, it exists somewhere in your body. And actually recognize to um, what you do when this, when, uh, this feeling appears in your mind. And start recognizing it in your body. Quite often we, you know, we worry with your stomach, uh, our stomachs or uh, jaws, you know, you, you grind your teeth or on your shoulders, you hunch your shoulders. To see that it's, it's like a, it's something, it was like something is showing me I have this feeling coming up again. You know, you recognize it. But if you don't really learn to recognize, you don't learn how to do, to do anything with it. But, big thing on that step is actually recognizing it. then you you know uh, what to do with it it's quite often you know we just say you know be kind towards it and you know actually relax it physically learn what helps it but um once you actually learn to recognize that's a big step that's uh, that's what i would say learn to recognize those feelings that's rest it sort of follows from there but um don't think you know you it doesn't belong to you, it's not mine. it doesn't really help, perhaps these are the deep meditations, and we have to sort of brainwash up thinking into this when we have deep meditation we come out of it but the, uh, even if you you can say all day that it doesn't belong to me it doesn't it doesn't help. You just have to learn to recognize and be kind towards it. There's not much you can do about it in in um, reality. But it, it's if you keep meditating, it does get easier. So that's why it is. Um, the tendency is to push it away, whether it's daydreaming or um, distract yourself with uh, on online and other uh, any other means. But uh, we we try not to once in a while take a time and just stick with it. The Buddha said one time, it's interesting, it's one sutta, he said, when I saw fear coming, I just sat as long as the fear sub, uh, subsided. He he just didn't give up. But, I mean, that was Buddha. It was, he had very good mind. But uh, it, there's something to that. Sometimes you say, I'm just going to look at it. No, it's just five minutes. I'm going to look at it now. That's it. And then afterward, you know, Go and distract yourself, but the, if you don't once in a while if you just just don't hold up and don't do anything try don't try to change it uh you never learn to recognise it sometimes just look at it for a while there's nothing wrong with that it's not gonna kill you not gonna be don't be afraid of it too much, so yeah, be with it very good. Okay, it's forty-five. I think we can go, because so we have the lunch coming. So it was nice to be here. It's nice to. It's, uh, the rains continue, so we'll see you. Hopefully, most of you, the end of the rains ceremony in Nubia. I see you there. Thank you, so so good. Thank you, Ajahn. Um, just. To- BSV relies on uh, BSV has operating expenses like electricity bills, water bills, and rates and things like that, and we rely on donations. So if we can pro- if we could support. To, to, if you could support and help BSW recover some of the operational costs, uh, the donation box is at the back, so you could help, might like to contribute towards some of the expenses there. We have updated the notice board, uh, that shows the weekly expenses uh, to see how much we, we actually cost us to run the, the, the place. Um, we need to continue running the, your support will help us to continue running the place to provide teaching, uh, to our community as well as, uh, supporters, our, Learners or people who like to learn Buddhism all around the world too as well. So your contributions towards the support of the operation of this center will really help to bring um, Dharma to everyone. Thank you. Thank you, Adrian. Okay, let's pay respect to the Buddha Dhamma Sang. Arahang Sama Sam Buddham Hagawam Buddham Hagawan Sang Vakato bhagavata damo dhamman namasami. Supati bhagavato savakasangho namami.